You are listening to the Evolution Exchange Cybersecurity Podcast, a melting pot of ideas and inspiration shared by some of the most successful technical leaders, both in the UK and US. My name is Dave Loder, and I connect businesses with top technical talent, both in the UK and the US. And today, I am your host. So the topic of today's conversation is addressing the skills gap in OT security. I'm excited to be joined by senior leaders within uh, the area of cybersecurity to share with me their thoughts and opinions and raise some of their kind of questions around this particular topic. So these are Keith, Adam, Marcin and John. So welcome everyone and thanks for joining. It'd be great to begin with some introductions. So I guess Marcin, first of all, are you happy to kick us off with an introduction? Absolutely. First of all, thanks for having me here. Uh, I'm Marcin Szczepanik, also known as uh, CISO Marcin, uh, and I'm currently CISO and uh, DPO for the company called SR Oil. So we are the oil refinery in north or west of UK. My career has started as an OT engineer a long time ago. I've progressed to OT, IT, managing IT department, managing OT departments. Then I uh, started my passion about cybersecurity and I've been heading all three departments for a long time. And currently my main objective is to lead the cybersecurity function for the oil refinery in Northwest of UK. And we do have quite uh, interesting challenges within OT security including recruitment and skill shortage, which is why I think it's relevant for, for me to be here. Thank you very much. Amazing, fantastic. And I look forward to delving into what those challenges are uh, shortly. And then John, would you be happy to give us a bit of an introduction to yourself? Yes, yeah. Um, so John Morton, um, I'm an independent consultant. I've uh, been a CTO for $2 billion companies, um, dealing it with um, selling some of the IoT and OT solutions. But um, more recently, I've been involved in energy utilities, construction and manufacturing, and some of the challenges around the interface of integrating devices through to how do you make sense and decisions from the data produced. So I take that sort of end-to-end view. Um, also, in the last nine years, um, I've been involved in producing the ISO standards for Industry 4.0. Unfortunately, only focused on hard manufacturing, so uh, I, I, I missed out on all of the drinks and alcohol production, um, but I'm quite willing to work in that area if there's an opportunity. Um, but I'm a really a, protect, a practitioner, um, and I focus on the sort of planning, the architecture, and of course the delivery um, in sort of smart retail, smart city deployments, and how you bring all the different sensing devices together. So it's not just about environment, it's about the robotics, it's about the operational controls, it's about in making sure that it is secure and also making sure that it's secure at an individual site, um, not just a, a, an end-to-end -end site or just the back office systems. Uh, and I've seen some uh, horror stories which we might talk about later. Um, but over my many years, a constant challenge has been how do we retain that specific detailed knowledge of an OT infrastructure that's already there, you know, SCADA based, but allow um, the development of new capabilities for end-to-end -end secure integration? How do we fit in new 
connectivity methods and controls and new ways of communicating from WiMAX down to the new 5G. And then what type of person do we need that can not only look across that applications, technology, data and security stack, but can um, bring together legacy with bleeding edge technologies and approaches. So I guess today's uh, thing for me is, um, how do we build the unicorn for OT security? Amazing, fantastic. And uh, a unicorn is one of those words that's uh, commonly sort of bound around when I'm on uh, briefing calls for OT roles. So <laughs> I'm glad I wasn't the first one to mention that. And I look forward to uh, yeah hearing your views on that. Um, Adam, would you be kind enough to give us an introduction to yourself? Yeah, Adam Brees. I've been working in IT security for about 20 years, uh, on and off, uh, moving between enterprise architecture and IT security for most of my career. Uh, I focused largely on manufacturing, industrial and mining. Um, so I've kind of bounced around different industries and got a very broad view of how all of these things work together. Fantastic. And last but certainly not least, Keith. Yes, hi. Thank you. Uh, thanks for the invitation. And Pleasure to be part of such an esteemed panel. So thank you to my uh, co-hosts as well. It's great to meet you and be sat here with you. Um, I've worked uh, technology for 30 years, 20 in security. Primarily my background is military, US Air Force, US Army. Uh, and then my OT space has been in the Middle East, oil, gas, nuclear, and renewable energy uh, in the UAE with dark matter most recently. And the skills gap uh, for me, uh, it, it's uh, it's a lot trickier actually than than the overall cybersecurity skills gap in that OT is so niche and so difficult to find uh, folks that are willing to move from the OT job into securing that uh, I think that's why we're all here today to discuss that because man convincing some folks to actually go over into a more stressful work environment of security is one that's, uh, you know, I don't uh, relish anyone doing. So thank you all again and, and looking forward to this discussion. Fantastic. Well, with uh, introductions out the way, it'll be great to delve into the topic of today's conversation, which once again is addressing the skills gap within OT. Um, all those introductions have kind of given us a bit of an insight as to everyone's angle. But I guess um, question wise, Keith, would you be happy to set us off with your question first of all? Certainly, Dave. So uh, considering uh, the recent shift in the cybersecurity world to to hire uh, and then develop a person into a role versus going out traditionally going out to the IT world and then and pulling uh, experienced IT workers, does the panel think that there's an opportunity also in OT security space to do something similar as in hire mechanical engineers? and train them up into OT security. Great, thank you. And Adam, are you happy to uh, start us off with your thoughts? Yes, I've, I've, I've often thought about this because there's an interesting balance here and I've seen some companies take uh, some of their uh, engineering, their OT engineers and move them over into a security space. And unfortunately, they've tried to do it without the right type of guidance from the cybersecurity side. So there, there needs to be that integration. I think in either case, if you if you do or you don't, cybersecurity and the OT people need to be very, very tightly integrated because you can't just take a cyber guy and move him in because it's a, you know, he's not going to understand the nuances of OT and, and the, the specific requirements of the of the, the, the processing. 
and taking somebody from uh, the uh, the engineering side, they they tend to think very one track about what security means. So they focus very much on protection and they forget all that, you know, security is, you know, lots of other things other than just stopping a hacker. But that's what they think about is the hacker. So uh, it, it's definitely a great way to go because you need to get that solid understanding of what the systems are like, but it really needs to be balanced with a lot of retraining and deprogramming the engineering part of their <laughs> Brilliant. Fantastic. And um, John, your thoughts on that and uh, your thoughts on the question itself? Um, yeah, so to, to answer Keith's question, I think if you've got good and curious individuals and given the opportunity, um, they will actually develop and learn about the challenges themselves. Um, I'm all for providing the support for people to learn to give that guidance and direction that Adam was talking about. Um, but I think you also have to give them the opportunity to apply that and to sh to help tone how they go about applying it. Um, unfortunately, and I think this is also what Adam was um, allowing to, is um, sometimes the, the environments are very challenging and the people who are managing those environments don't always understand some of the intricacies that have to be thought about and the context in which you need to um, deliver an operational solution. And therefore, um, the training becomes inexpertly executed. Um, you put people in training courses and then by hypnosis, they, you believe that they'll understand everything that's going on when really they, they, they're at the very first step. Um, I also come from um, quite a deep enterprise architecture environment. And there, I think the key thing is that you continue to challenge by looking at a solution in lots of different ways. You look at it from a geographic perspective. You look at it from a security perspective. You look at it from applications. You, you do the, the black box type thinking about how to attack that environment. And also you think about a maturity expert, uh, a, a maturity aspect of over time, which components will need to be updated, which components have a higher risk value and therefore we need to be able to put additional support and governance controls around those components. Now, we're seeing this an awful lot in um, the rush to create automatic vehicles where we have uh, security by design um, embedded, not just at a component level, hardware component level, but right across the security integration, security configuration pieces, which takes your you know, mechanical engineers, your material science engineers, your software engineers, looking at the security aspects. So um, for me, OT is about understanding the environment, the contexts and the factors affecting an endpoint and how you're going to use the information from that endpoint. And that has to be within a, an operational context or a risk context. OK, fantastic. Thank you. And I think that's going to lead us on nicely um, in a second after we get Martin's thought onto our next question. But Martin, could I get your your thoughts on Keith's question, please? 
Sure, absolutely. So I, I, I think I have to add that I've been lucky enough to have worked in all the three areas, which is IT, OT and cybersecurity. Uh, and as my um, uh, colleagues mentioned earlier, that uh, it is not always so easy to move person from an OT or mechanical engineering to OT security straightforward. And I would say there's two well, approaches how would you, here. You've got a really stressful job. How would you like it to make it a little bit more stressful? <laughs> yeah, well, I think I think it's from my experience, uh, not just here where I am now, but from my previous jobs, there's two approaches you could take here. One is, and uh, excuse my language, but I would call it stealing a person that is already in the business and trying to transition them into OT security. But of course, that is posing some risks and the risks are that that person despite having a new role they will still be doing the old ot role or maintenance engineering role because if you don't plan it accordingly there will still be demand for them to be on standby or assist the department in doing what they've been doing for last 25 years so there is a bit of planning required there that you don't just steal them you also think what's going to happen to that position that they've been doing for last 20 or 25 years. Uh, and I have done this. I, you know, I have the, um, transitioned people into OT security, but I always had a plan on what will happen to those duties that they've been doing over so many years. Uh, so with some relevant guidance and plan, it is possible and sometimes I think it's the only approach. You know, you have to balance your risk. You know, what other options would you have? Another approach, which is also something I've experienced, is a hiring a person with past OT experience. So hiring from outside of your business and having some development plan for them to move into OT security. And that's also something that helps helped me in, in my career that you know I would employ a, a person who have had a very strong OT experience and they were looking to move into cybersecurity. That was something they were passionate about. And then you 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 may consider uh, developing them into IT security as a very first stage. So for a couple of months you may want them to work with your IT SOC and learn how cybersecurity operates, what is the main principles behind cybersecurity. And then when they're ready, you then transition, transition them into OT security. And what you gain by doing that is you teach them what cybersecurity is, how hackers work, what are the main principles of defending your business. But you also know that they will not just move into OT security and apply all the changes without consulting with anybody, because they know that that's not how OT environment works. And that's usually the risk when you try to bring IT people to OT. They don't understand that principle that you can't just take that SCADA system down for half an hour to apply latest patches to your Windows XP system. You can't do that. You know, that requires a lot of uh, strict procedures. You need to seek approval of several business owners. So, you know, that's that's where the risk is from my experience. So having that person who have worked in OT and is looking to develop into OT security 
would be my safer bet than just transitioning an IT guy into OT security guy. That's probably a bit higher risk from my uh, experience. Okay, thank you very much. Brilliant, brilliant. Thank you. And I think that leads us on really nicely to um, Adam's question. Adam, are you happy to pose your question to the panel? Yeah, so uh, I think it leads on really well from Keith's question, actually. It's, so what are the risks of doing that cross-training? And like uh, Marcin was saying, um, what's the risk of taking somebody from IT security and moving them into OT security or vice versa, taking somebody from OT and moving them in? Um, I've seen the the latter more than the former, moving the OT people into um, the OT security role. Um, so I'm curious to get your thoughts on that. Yeah, absolutely. And Keith, would you uh, would you be happy to start us off with that? Yeah, sure. So I've got some real world examples here. Um, the first one was uh, a consultancy engagement in the Middle East, uh, working in nuclear energy space, where uh, I came in as a director uh, leading the the advisory practice, and this engagement had started about six months before I came on board. And what they did was they hired IT security folks to go into the nuclear OT security space with the thoughts of pairing them up with the on-site OT engineers to learn learn OT, right? And then to apply <laughs> apply in, their in IT a nuclear and cyber. environment. That sounds like a wonderful place. To uh, learn. It was yeah, it was horrible. It was horrible. <laughs> and uh, so it, what happened was we we well, first of all, <laughs> under threat of escalation and cancel of the contract, we ended up bringing in some OT, uh, a couple OT security folks from the US who had worked in oil and gas, not, not necessarily nuclear energy, but we upskilled them then uh, on the some of the Navy uh, f uh, nuclear frameworks, put them in with uh, the cyber folks, and then also brought in OT, or not OT security, but um, OT engineers to form sort of like a tiger team instead. So it cost us more, but it allowed us then to grow the skill set uh, to meet the needs of that specific customer. Because trying to hire in, you know, find nuclear energy OT security people, it was nigh on impossible thing to do at the time. Um, one of the risks uh, of going the other way, or one of the risks, I think Marson may have said it, uh recently trying to convince somebody in ot to go into security it's like convincing somebody to go to internal affairs in the police uh <laughs> you're 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 turning somebody almost against their community because now they are the police of ot that they have to sort of narc on their former colleagues in in ways that maybe the security is not uh you know up to par and you know well, so especially folks yeah, especially folks that are like our age, where we've been so comfortable in working in a, in just the technical space to say, hey, we want to teach you a whole new skill set. And oh, by the way, now you're going to be the bad guy in the environment. No, no, thank you. Not interested. So that's that's a challenge and a risk. And as and, and as was also pointed out, bringing in IT and cybersecurity people and trying to teach them OT, you know, some of the OT and, and the systems in place, uh, I look at uh, some of our nuclear systems in the US, they're written in COBOL, right? Who who coming out of university today would have any idea of that? Or, you know, teaching them systems that are 30, 40 years old that are still in production. And as Marcin had also said, you can't shut it down. You have to figure out a way to patch upgrade while still in production 
constantly. So those are some of the risks on, on both sides of the coin, bringing in OT, training them up as security, or bringing in security and, and trying to train them into OT, which is much more difficult in my opinion. Fantastic. Thanks for that. And thanks for the uh, example as well. Um, I guess, Martin, it'd be great to get your, your thoughts then, um, if that's right. Sure. I think it's, 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 um, I've, I've covered some of this in my previous uh, statement, but I think moving somebody into OT security from another department in your area, of course, there is a risk of losing that capacity within the business, but it's your safer bet than cross-training an IT person into OT security, right? And, you know, I've been in that position so many times when there's different expectations from those different functions, if you like. So when you do your IT security audit and you're checking what systems have you got, you know, are they patched? Are they on latest version? That's an easy one. But then ask <laughs> an IT person to do an audit of an OT environment and they go like, why do we still have OT? So why do we have Windows XP? We have to get rid of it. We have to decommission it tomorrow. But no, that's not possible. We can do that. We will develop three years plan to do that because that's how long it's going to take for yeah. us to decommission the Windows XP. control nodes that we installed yeah. in 1975. That's why. <laughs> so, you know, from that point of view, if, if, you, if you ask me which way would I choose this, uh, the cross-training, I would consider training somebody who is already familiar with the OT concept into OT security, as opposed to just transition or move somebody from IT into OT. Because if you don't guide them, there's a risk of some serious downtimes. And, you know, I'm, I, I can't reveal too much details, but that has happened in my career when that lack of understanding would have resulted in some serious downtime. And that's just the nature of this job. And, you know, as I said earlier, I'm quite lucky that I have worked in all three areas and I understand those concepts and I have to change my face on a regular basis, depending who do I talk to at, at any moment in time. So when I'm dealing with the OT layer, you know, I have to remember there are strict rules on, yes, XP, it's great. It's, you know, we have it and we have to maintain it. Maybe in a couple of years we will develop a plan to decommission those systems, but that's not straightforward. When you're talking to IT, oh yeah, XP, no, we can't have it, you know, that, yeah, we have to develop something next month. And, you know, that's that's the main difference, you know, describing the, 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 the challenges of cross-training, you know, as long as you understand the differences between those approaches, you could do that. But it's, it's important not to just leave them to their own because that may, you know, cause a serious implication to your manufacturing processes. Uh, I'm gonna, sorry, I'm gonna just add to that because I, I, I like the, I like where you're going with that. But one of the, one of the things that you quickly realize about pure IT guys is, or pure security guys, is very few of them actually have IT experience either. Uh, you, you have a, a new kind of generation of security people who didn't get any real technical knowledge. They, they weren't support people before. They didn't work on servers. They came in knowing security. So the focus for them is always on the governance of security. And they'll learn some technical aspects and things like that. But uh, yeah, it's, it's the same in, it's the same in <laughs> IT. <laughs> Ready. Thanks for that. And um, John, it'd be good to get your thoughts um, as well, please. Well, I think I'll go, I'll go back a little bit to uh, Keith's 
um, points about the nuclear industry. Um, it is people like himself and myself who, uh, you know, if, if we can climb over the fences, can we dodge our way into the buildings? Um, we probably can get into the MS-DOS layers and the um, Windows 11 workspace, um, uh, uh, you know, the original Windows uh, environments, so that we can actually hack some of those systems. Um, and sometimes that's actually a value. So when the OT engineers are looking at security, um, we do get this view of we've got to do what the security or the audit people say, but actually it should be the other way around. Here's the rationale for why you shouldn't do that. Um, there, there was a move a few years ago to make sure that all um, systems were going to be connected to the internet so that we could then monitor and service them from remotely and that will reduce costs. It also opens up huge amount of risks and sometimes the best thing to do is to leave it untouched because the risk value of somebody hacking in is much higher than than leave, leaving it as a standalone system. Um, and it, you need an OT engineer to look at not just about the technical aspects, but what does that really mean? So the risk here is that you're going to get a little bit of a pushback to management policies, direction, and um, where you want to go because of specific devices or specific setup configurations that cannot or should not be updated. However, I do love vendors um, because vendors are moving apace. And sometimes, and here I'm thinking of manufacturing environments, um, the vendors are moving apace and they've moved from, um, uh, in, uh, from uh, bolt-ons to your uh, manufacturing kit to sort of more integrated to now we've got cloud-based systems. Uh, unfortunately, they haven't taken a lot of their um, their clients on that journey as well. And suddenly, oh, the next upgrade that's required is now going to be cloud-based. And the OT engineers saying, but wait a minute, it, it's a standalone box over there. And now I've got to think about security and network infrastructure. And oh, wait a minute, I need to go work through our data center to then get the lines out because we've decided that we're doing this. And suddenly the challenges are becoming more and more intrinsic about why hasn't IT and OT get up to, up to date with the business view of uh, we want the newest software with the newest features because that will streamline our planning process. It will help us get our manufacturing and it will open up new products and services that we can offer from our manufacturing line. So we've got these this challenge that the OT guys are are having to move to new technologies, but they haven't been given the time, the understanding to move towards that. And sometimes that can be really good because vendors will help them move on that journey. And sometimes vendors don't play that way. They're, uh, they've got their own initiatives. So I think it's a, an interesting risks that the OT engineers have to do, but it's also as a manager of OT and OT manufacturing systems, certainly, how do we start to look at that next stage of enterprise planning as we move our business from um, 
single site controls to an integrated distributed controls. And that's a that's an interesting thing with the upgrades, especially in, in manufacturing. When I look at the manufacturing systems that I've been involved with, most of them are are very old. So that upgrade, even if you want to upgrade a small component, you're looking at kind of retooling an entire factory to get that to happen. And it's just well beyond any reasonable cost in most cases to do that. So then you're stuck with the XPs, you're stuck with these, you know, controls that, you know, are so sensitive that you can't even use network discovery to find out what's there. You know, you send a ping packet and, the, you know, half your, half your, half your factory collapses. So I, that, that, that upgrade path from the vendors isn't, is often very infeasible. It, it's just not it, practical to be done at it, all. It, 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 uh -huh. From their perspective, it is feasible, but from your operations perspective, it's it's a real challenge to to work out how do I, well, where do I start, I think is the key one. Where do I start to even think about how to do that? Because sometimes the, the software is actually integrated into five, six, seven different systems, as well as backend systems. So your IT, OT world is being challenged from both sides and the business are saying but this system that we're, we want this upgrade is going to give us all the new uh, uh, features and capabilities that we want for meeting our customers demand um, so it makes it you know do, do you just start with new factories and I've seen some organizing uh, organizations say every acquisition every new factory that we build that's what we're going to do we're going to modernize it before we go too far? Or do you start some sort of, um, I like to call it an unpick strategy of how we unpick certain components, how we sometimes have to build new hardware components to get things to talk to each other so that we can then introduce elements of the new software. Uh, and I think all of that is, is being laid on the OT engineer's complexity without them having to think about security, without them having to think about environmental controls and environmental um, uh, audit checks as well as part of sustainability, etc. Okay, so it's interesting that without even, you know, thinking about security for these OT engineers, there's increased complexity for them anyway as it is. So I guess, as you mentioned before, adding security to the mix as well is quite a, can be quite an overwhelming yeah. task or quite a hard sell for uh, some of these people. Marcin, was there slightly something that you were you were trying to add there? Yeah, I was trying to say that it's also about aligning the expectations across the business, right? So, you know, I can share some of the stories from my career, from one of my, you know, uh, work experiences. So, you know, I would be doing audits, you know, and IT audit, as I mentioned earlier, is relatively straightforward. But when you do OT audit, and on, on, on one particular occasion, I just wanted to align the expectations between IT and OT. So I invited IT representatives to do an, an audit of OT environment with me and the external party, <laughs> experienced external auditor. You know, and, and we've gone through days and days of auditing, lots of questions, a lot of challenges there. But there was one particular thing which very well explained why is it important to align expectations between the business when there was a question asked to OT specialists on whether they patch their Windows systems on a regular basis. 
or more specifically, whether all the Windows desktop workstations are up to date with patches? And the answer was yes, they are. So IT guys were like, good, yeah, that's all good. We're happy with that. But then I followed up with next question, what is the Windows version on those desktops? <laughs> and the answer was obvious, Windows XP, right? <laughs> or even older sometimes. So from that perspective, oh yes, they are up to date, except the patching yeah. has we, been we, stopped years ago. We put ago. the very last patch on four years ago when yes, it was released. Uh, yeah. five years ago, whatever. <laughs> and, and that's when IT management realizes, oh, okay, we're talking completely different, you know, application of security here, because to them, they are up to date. But to us, wow, this is not acceptable, right? So, and aligning yeah. those expectations, I found it quite helpful when different departments in the business understands it's different level of complexity in different areas of your organization. Do you understand each other? If you don't, do you trust the key stakeholders within the other functions that they know what they're doing? Because if there is this discrepancy between the trust and understanding, whatever you do, you are set for failure, if I may say so. <laughs> I would say, you know, I mentioned, I mentioned earlier that I think the opposite is kind of true at the same time. So when I look at how security is implemented by by a lot of the OT vendors, what what I see is very rudimentary uh, stuff being put onto devices. So um, what they're calling OT firewalls are are really have very little functionality over a, over a, a standard IT router, but but they have an access control list, so they call it a firewall. It doesn't cover any type of uh, packet inspection and no validation that the that the rules aren't being circumvented in some other way. It stops at layer three. It says, is this the IP address that it's supposed to be getting to on the right port? Yeah, great, let's go. So there's almost an understanding, a misunderstanding from the OT vendors, exactly what cybersecurity should mean in an OT environment as well. So there's definitely a balance that needs to be struck there. That's true. And, it, and in some cases you would have things like, you, you you would buy a brand new HMI for your manufacturing processes, and those HMIs would have Bluetooth enabled by default, Wi-Fi enabled by default, and quite a few other features enabled <laughs> by default. So if you don't consider those, you are naturally opening up your whole network to potential attackers, right? Yeah. So it's yeah, it's, there's lots of consideration there with vendors and the new gizmos, uh, if I may say so. <laughs> Yeah, I think it's definitely interesting introducing kind of vendors into the into the equation here. I think that's definitely a, a topic probably that we could do a whole nother podcast on. Um, but yeah, very interesting stuff. So I guess on to on to the next question, Martin, would you be happy to pose yours to the panel? Sure. So this question uh, is uh, quite straightforward to HR or not to HR. How do you <laughs> How do you overcome challenge of relevant job description, salary, and type of candidates that you want to appeal to? And what I mean here is, you know, we, we all see job descriptions everywhere with competitive salary, yeah, very competitive salaries, and things like uh, looking for IT security analyst or OT security analyst with SISM qualification, right? 
which is not really relevant to the job that you are trying to fill for. So, you know, what 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 do you do in 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 your environment? How how you do deal with this? Do you work closely with HR or do you not work with them? You work with recruiters. What what's the approach here? I like the last option, but I'll leave that to the to the panel to discuss. <laughs> we can't we can't Dave, that's what <laughs> <laughs> exactly, hopefully. So I guess who would like to kick us off? Adam, would you like to start yeah, this one off for us? I can I can start because I've I've I find that this is kind of a universal problem. A lot of the times we we really just throw things over the fence at HR and say, I need somebody and and they come out with a lot of like, you know, a, a ton of different certifications that should be required and the people who are actually filling out the the job spec don't do an adequate job of being realistic about what they need for the price they need so you get you know these uh, these unicorns that we talk about and you get them all over the place and ot security makes it even worse because the, the sensitivity of it but it reminds me of a of a of a funny post i saw uh, running around linkedin i think it was a couple of years ago and um they were asking for 15 years of Go programming experience. And so the, the guy, I think it was Rob Pike, responded to it and, and said, you know, he, he didn't qualify for the job because he only wrote the Go programming language 10 years ago. And th those are the kind of things that you run into because we have people that are posting and actually coming up with the, the design spec who aren't really sure what they need. They know they need another person and they know they want to get the best person they can. So they, they put everything in it. And, you know, they want everything, but they want everything for 60 grand a year. You know? And I think the answer for me is that you definitely need to keep HR involved, but you need a lot tighter controls over what you need before you engage with HR, because I think that's the falling point in a lot of places is, uh, and that's why you get those job specs. The hiring manager doesn't know what he needs before he goes to HR, and then HR adds the complication on top of that, and, and it just goes crazy from there. Fantastic. Well, thanks um, for your input there. And John, what's, um, I'll be interested in getting your thoughts on this also. So um, I'm very much of the mind that if, if it's a brand new capability, you're looking for something that you haven't already got, then it's something that you and your team need to spend the time on to say, what is the capability we need and how do we fit that person into our environment? How do we expect them to fit with the different stakeholders and how do we support that person? Because I think um, from a lot of the environments I've seen, it is about a brand new capability. We've got OT engineers, we've got IT engineers, we've got people who understand securities and writing policies and doing documentation. But actually you want people who are right in the middle who know how to apply those security and policies within different environments and understand what the risks are. Um, and therefore, you need to spend that time to, to shape up the job description to justify the salary or to justify the salary plus the training package that you might need to put in place to develop that person. And don't just assume that it's going to be somebody outside. Make sure that if you're going to be developing new capability and it's a rare one out there, that you're at, at, at actually advertising for people inside the company who might want to be the ones that take on that role. If it is something that is known, understood, 
um, then, you know, you can pass it out to HR because you're saying, I want another person like Fred. And here's what Fred looks like. And here's what his qualifications are. Um, this isn't, for me, it, this isn't a question. It's just about OT and security. We've seen this in data science. We've seen this when we moved to, you know, developing web apps. We've seen this in all types of integration type problems. Um, and I think it's a core principle of mine that if I, I don't know what the capability is, I need to define what that capability is. And I need to define the level of that capability. What's the entry level? What's the next level I need above that? So that I've got something that then says in outline, okay, you'll be doing this job for about two to three years, but we will then need somebody who's going to be a master in that area because it's so important to the direction of the organization, business, or where industry is going. I'm afraid that's a very dry answer, but um, it's one that's close to my heart, I'm afraid. No, well, thank you. Thank you for that, John. And Keith? Yeah, so I guess it depends on what sector my organization is in. If I'm working in an OT, you know, if I'm like Marson and I'm working in an OT environment, then I may place a little more trust in my HR to at least, you know, get the foundations right. And then, you know, it's on me as the hiring manager to do the sanity checks on the JDs and, and then also give HR the heart attack when I tell them what the salary is probably going to be, because what they're doing is they're looking at a comparable OT non-security specific role, and then you tax security, and that's another 25, 35% salary uh, plus whatever else they're after, right? So uh, the reality can help. If, if, if however, in a like my example earlier, where I'm in a consulting organization, HR had no idea what OT or OT security meant, then in that case, we engaged with specialist recruiters, such as yourself, Dave, uh, over there in the Middle East, who recruited OT and then also knew what was likely needed either to bring in an OT person to develop, as John says, part of that package is the development cost. Part of the development cost also includes the time it takes to develop that person because six, 12 months, probably not realistic. It's going to take a while, uh, right? And so you have to bake that into your costs and and your uh, resource and so forth. So um, in the cyberspace, what I'm used to is I do 99% of the work. HR loves me again until I you know, put the salary uh, requirements down and then they hate me. But um, in the OT space, it's it's much more niche. You know, uh, I've got friends uh, in Dragos, as an example, they're industry leaders in the OT cyber, you know, con continuity space for security. And I've had some good discussions with them. And, uh, you know, they're sort of world renowned for their capabilities and they command those types of compensation packages. But Dragos is an example of a employee owned organization where everyone enjoys the spoils of the success. So, um, yeah, for me, I guess the, the answer is it all depends. But, you know, the more work you can do for HR, the better you're going to be in their eyes. And, you know, the the more they're going to trust you uh, when it comes time to handing them that JD that, that you're giving them a quality uh, product. Brilliant. Fantastic. Well, thanks for all your thoughts on that one. And then last but not least, certainly um, question wise, John, uh, could we get your question, please? Yeah. OK, so um, with the growth and the need for more endpoint monitoring in smart cities, manufacturing, exploration, energy, agriculture, policing, transport, automobiles, 
do the panel see the need for a new set of disciplines competencies focused on developing IoT based talent or existing software engineers, network specialists, data analysts, security engineers, operational technologists, data engineers sufficient in their existing skills, approaches and methods to meet the complexity of such environments? Martin, would you like to um, kick us off? Yeah, sure. No problem. I think I'll start with, and it has happened to me on a few occasions. So I'll start with uh, explaining that people need to understand what IoT is, first of all, because I've been asked so many times, is IoT a merge of IT and OT? And you can imagine how my face would uh, go at uh, at answering that question. And of it's course, not, it's not. It's not 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 I slash OT. It's... No, it's not. <laughs> but there is still that perception that IoT is an application of IT in the OT environment. So what can possibly go wrong? Uh, and not to mention that there is a completely another standard which is IIoT, right? It's in industrial uh, IoT. So. The way I would answer this question is that maybe in the future, that is the approach that we should consider from my uh, experience. But I think the most important thing at this moment is in time is to build that understanding between IT and OT and engagement between the two layers. Because if you don't get engagement between your IT security and OT security, even though you may have a dedicated IoT talent in your organization, they will need that engagement between the two, layer, two layers. Because if you're trying to install something on your critical components of your manufacturing process, you need that OT approval. You need that assurance that they are going to be happy with it. But at the same time, you need to give assurance to your OT department that IT security is also happy with this that there is not a loophole in the system that somebody could connect to those devices through some security patches of Google Drive or Azure or whatever else they're using to, to, to send the data to. So answering the question in the future, that might be something that will become very popular. But I think at this moment in time, manufacturing organizations need to focus on better engagement between those two layers, IT, NOT. Brilliant. And uh, Keith, your thoughts, please? Yeah, excellent question. So when I see smart cities, I'm, I immediately think about the latest uh, news around the, the line project in Saudi Arabia. You know, this massive uh, 120 kilometer long city where everything is integrated. And I think about how much IoT and OT is going to be in that structure. And the fact that we don't have really that many skills uh, where they combine the security focus of both. IoT is inherently insecure. The purpose of IoT is get the cheapest webcam or the cheapest uh, smart fridge or toaster or kettle or whatever it is onto the consumer's <laughs> cabinet without, you know, there's no patching as such. There's what, no... are the, what are the security risks of that cow? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Right. So uh, they basically the manufacturer says, uh, I pass the security risk onto the consumer. Right. Uh, in the smart city space, that's not feasible because you're going to have, you know, problems. You're going to have 
you know, the transportation system going off the rails. You're going to have fire suppression systems going off the rails. You're going to have threat to life. Uh, and then it's going to make the news and everyone's going to, uh, you know, leave the, the smart city space. Uh, the same thing could be said for, uh, I think, EVs and automobile, you know, uh, self-driving cars was mentioned earlier. Uh, you know, I see uh, announcements for uh, engineers in the security space for auto uh, autonomous vehicles and uh, speaking to the recruiters about it. You know, it's, you know, half a million dollar salary a year to find an engineer that has those three skill sets because the unicorn, again, they don't really exist. And so it's, you know, it's tough, but um, definitely, definitely uh, something we're going to have to consider. And then, you know, you throw in AI and ML and oh my goodness, you just completely <laughs> flummox the security space because now you're introducing, you know, that last piece that's going to be integrated into the OT, IOT spaces uh, and the IT security people just aren't going to be able to, to, to pull it off. It's going to have to be engineer-minded, OT-minded people securing these IoT and uh, devices within that smart city, excuse me, smart city space. Brilliant. And um, Adam, your thoughts, please. Yeah, I think to, to add to what Keith is saying, I think there needs to be some more of a demand for um, security certifications at the vendor level as well, because as Keith was saying, you know, the, the vendor's opinion is like, no, we're building these things as cheap and as fast as possible to get them out the door. So it's your responsibility to make sure that they're secure. That's something that we should not be allowing to happen. As soon as we see something like that, we should say, OK, well, that is not a webcam I'm going to buy. Or that's not a that's not a component. That's not a control that I'm going to put in my environment. If you can't if you can't tell me that that's inherently secure, I don't want it. So I think that security uh, uh, certification needs to kind of be at a couple of levels. It needs to be uh, some kind of hardware security alignment that happens from the vendor. And imagine just something as basic as you have a manufacturing environment or you have somebody who's a really great IT guy coming into an environment that has OT, even if they never touch it. Imagine having a course that they can do that explains to them what OT is. Even being certified at that level makes a massive difference to an IT organization working, working for a manufacturing company. It bridges that gap just a little bit and gets that interest involved so that then they will, like Marcin was saying, they will go in and, and actually have engagement with the engineers that creates that bridge that we so desperately need. As long as we're constantly building silos and saying, this is my job, this is your job, it's never going to get any better. We need to start breaking down those silos. And I think developing a certification program is probably a really great way to do that. Right. And if, I could, if, I could, if I could add one piece, uh, a very good uh, training uh, resource that just came out of nowhere to me recently is uh, the Idaho National Laboratory. They have some very good free OT SCADA ICS <laughs> security training courses. Uh, and I would highly recommend uh, anyone looking to move into that field to check out their website and their training offerings. I think uh, Udemy has a couple of courses that do some basic um, um, some basic stuff around how to how to create OT environments, some OT design. Absolutely would bore an engineer to death because it is so high level, but really great for sheep diffing your IT guys. But Coming back to your point, Adam, I used to work for automotive industry, right? So I, I know a little bit how they operate. 
And it's only recently, it's a very recent thing, that there is actually some regulation that is, I think it's already in place, but the companies still have time to become compliant with it. It's, I think it's United Nation number 155, which is applying to automotive security. And we're talking about things like driving your car. Your car knows what speed you're driving. Your car knows that there is a car next to you. And your car knows that the car next to you is going to go onto your lane and crash into you. So your car may actually try to change the lane as well. So imagine this is all clever. <laughs> this is all to protect us. But what if this was all to be taken over by somebody who wants to have a well, good fun? If right. one car can see what another car is doing, it means a laptop in that car can see what that car is doing as well. And Correct. as soon as you've got open connectivity into that, that but, uh, that but you know what the challenge is system. for those automotive companies is they have to comply with this regulation. And guess what? They need to find people who know how to do it. Well, is there many of them on the market? No, because it's only been introduced now. So there is no <laughs> experts yet. So they need to build that capabilities. They need to find this talent without even knowing how to define those job descriptions, apart from you will be working on UN 155 oh, regulation. <laughs> H HR will fix that. Oh, yes, yeah, of course. <laughs> it, it sounds like that's something where you're looking for somebody with 15 years experience in it. Yeah. <laughs> yes. <laughs> but um, you can see um, the challenges and the complexity of, you know, I, I personally believe there is a, you talked about certifications, but actually I think there's still some gaps in the, the training, the understanding, and how do you put together that whole context as you move people from that vertical understanding into a much more stack or horizontal understanding. They need to have their specialism. I think that's still key, but they also need to understand how that fit comes together and how they configure the different components to work together within that environment as well. So thank and you I for think, uh, your input. I think giving people that broader understanding can lead to a lot of really interesting innovation in the market as well. So the more people who have eyes on something, the more people that are thinking about it and going, maybe there's a different way to do this. Did, um, did anyone else have anything else to add before I do a quick roundup? No, fantastic. Well, thank you all, all for your time. It's been a really interesting conversation. I think, you know, you can see sort of time-wise, thank you all for your time. I mean, we've definitely um, provided a lot of content here. And I think um, despite the sort of different angles and different approaches, um, each of the panelists has kind of provided, I think we're in agreement that um, there is a skill shortage. Um, with it being a, quite a young, um, relatively new sort of area, um, there are definitely areas where we need to kind of develop people. And I think it's quite interesting what's come up a few times from my sort of understanding is this context specific or industry specific approach we need to take, you know, someone that's trained up in a broad OT security uh, training that might be just a general kind of classroom um, course isn't going to be, you know, relevant necessarily to uh, the nuances to the specific uh, requirements they're going to need within nuclear, uh, within the automotive space. Um, I think, thankfully, it does look quite positive from uh, an engineer's perspective. If you've got people that can be convinced to go into security, um, I think we're all in kind of agreement here that that route, uh, training engineers up, uh, OT engineers up into IT uh, security 
is a better approach than IT into OT. Um, and then I think there are definitely some interesting topics that have come up that would be good for future podcasts, such as this whole kind of specialisms versus uh, the, the broader approach. We've kind of mentioned the need of people having that holistic view, um, understanding the kind of come to understanding different areas. But equally, we need specialists um, in each of the areas. So I think uh, there's definitely some conversa interesting conversations we can have down the line. Um, so I guess lastly, once again, I'd just like to thank you all for giving your time. Um, really, really appreciate it. And I really thoroughly enjoyed hosting today's uh, conversation with you all. Take care now. Thank you very much.